Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get started with some practice questions. So here's a practice question from Marie. So she says, a cafeteria serves lunch between 11.30 and 1.30. Employees get a 30-minute break but spend only 20 minutes in the dining area. How many chairs are needed in the dining room to accommodate 250 staff members? So this question is asking us about our seat turnover rate. Right, and when we're thinking about seat turnover rate, we're thinking about you know how many people can it sit in each chair, right? Because I do not need two hundred and fifty people. I mean, two hundred and fifty chairs, right? I need you know a much smaller amount of chairs because we're saying the dining room, right, is open for two hours, and you know the employees are only sitting in each chair for twenty minutes. So what we want to be thinking of. First is, you know, getting back to that two-hour time period, right? So two hours is going to be an hour and 20 minutes. And we're saying, okay, how many of those 20-minute blocks are in that hour and 20 minutes? And so if we do that, that we're saying, okay, that is six kind of times where people are coming in. And then if we're saying, okay, we have 250 employees, we kind of have like those six, you know, kind of 20-minute blocks in this time period, that's if we do 250 divided by 6, that's going to get us 41.6, and we can round that up to 42. Because what we're saying is if I have 42 chairs, right, and then we're saying, okay, and with each chair, right, we're going to be having, being able to fit, you know, our, our six people in them, right, because there are six rounds of eating, then that's going to allow us over this two-hour period to sit 250 people. So again, on that map, we did 120 minutes divided by 20 minutes per eating period. We said that's six kind of, you know, times we can eat. We divided the 250 people across those six times, and we said, I need 42 chairs to accommodate everyone. Okay, next one we have a question that I really like, and I have a similar one in my classes. So. It says, which menu item generates the most profit? And then it's giving you the different menu items, the units sold, selling price, raw food cost, and our prime cost. And so it's a little bit difficult to kind of explain on the audio, but when you're getting these types of questions, like we're seeing a table and you're like, oh my God, I am not excited about this. What you want to do is you want to remember your financial terms vocabulary, right? So the first thing I would be doing with this one is saying, okay, I'm looking for profit, right? So if I'm, what is my profit, right? That's my selling price minus my raw food cost. So I would quickly find that, right, for each one. So like for lasagna, the selling price is $3 and then our raw food cost is $134. So for my lasagna, each one, I'm making a profit of $165 and they're telling me I'm selling 1500. So I would do 165 times 1500, right? And that's telling me I have 
$2,475 of profits for Bozani. Okay, then I would do the vegetable chili. So it sells for $125 minus the cost of $0.57. Cents. And again, this is all from the table that's provided. That gives me a profit of $0.68 cents per unit. I sell $100, so that is $68. Okay. Then for my hamburger, I sell it for two, but then the cost is $0.90. Cents. So I make a dollar eleven on each one. I sell four hundred. I multiply that. I make four hundred and forty dollars. Okay, and then I have my enchilada. I sell it for three dollars, and I um, I sell it for three dollars, and then I have a dollar fourteen cents of my cost. And so I'm going to be making a dollar eighty six, and then times. My 100, I get 186. So this one, what you want to be thinking of is, again, you're looking for the profit. So the one that's making the most profit, right, would be that lasagna. I'm, you know, even though, you know, I'm not having, you know, a huge, you know, as much profit per item, right? So it's 165 per item in profit versus the enchilada is going to be 168, right? In total, I'm making the most profit off that one. If this question was asking you, you know, which singular item is making the most profit, then it would be the enchilada. So if we're looking at this question from, you know, all together, what makes the most profit? It's going to be lasagna. But if we're asking ourselves, which single menu item, right, if I only saw, sold one makes the most profit, it would be the enchilada. So definitely look at that wording. Okay, next one is another one of my favorite questions to ask because we have to use algebra, which I know you guys all love. So this one says, a business pays off 4% of its income as rent, $1,200. 70% towards labor costs and $2,500 towards the monthly expense. How much profit does this business make? So again, this is another great financial terms one. It's kind of the theme of this lesson. And we want to remember, okay, profit, right, is going to be my income minus my cost. And this one is what I like to call like a puzzle question because they're giving you one piece of the puzzle, right? I don't have total income, but I do know, right, that 4% of the total income is $1,200. So what I would do here is I would do a little proportion. So I would write down on my paper, 4 divided by 100, right, that's 4%, is equal to 1,200 over X. Because what I'm saying here is, they're telling me that 4% is equal to 1,200 divided by whatever the income is. So if I do my algebra, and remember, I'm kind of cross-multiplying here, so 100 times 1,200, and then we're dividing that by 4, that's telling me that my total income is $30,000. So, right, I have that piece of the puzzle. So if I'm going back to what I'm looking for, where I'm having income minus cost, right, I have my $30,000, right, minus the rent, $1,200, um, $1, and then I want to make sure I'm putting all the other expenses. So, okay, let me read the question again. A business pays 4% of its income as rent, $1,200. Yep, I'm subtracting that out. 70% towards labor, so what's 70%? 30,000 times 0.7, that's going to be 21,000, so I'm subtracting that as well, okay, and then 2,500 towards the monthly expenses. So I also want to subtract that. 
So when I do 30,000, right, we found that before, as our income minus our rent, 1,200, minus our labor, 21,000, minus our other expenses, 2,500, that's where we're getting 5,300 there. So a lot of algebra there. It keep, keeps, us, keeps us busy. Um, too. So here's another question um, that I ask because it's always funny, like in my monthly group, in my one-on-one -on -one tutoring sessions, I feel like I always have like themes of what people are asking. And this week, when I was talking with a lot of my one-on-one -on -one students, and I love to ask my one-on-one -on -one students open-ended questions, because I want to make sure you can under explain it. When you can explain a topic to someone, you know it. When you're not sure how to explain it, you don't know it. So refeeding syndrome and dumping syndrome are always mixed up. And it's really just because they have syndrome. And I find that a lot of people, right, we're not understanding that strong comprehension, right? They look familiar. We know what they are. But when you can't explain it to someone else, you do not actually know it. So exam study tip, be able to explain the vocab to someone else, right? It's not just enough to go, I know that. Okay, back to the question. So I said, what's the difference between them? Because everyone gets them mixed up. So when we're thinking about refeeding syndrome, refeeding syndrome is going to be happening when you have a patient, right, who has not had food for a while, right, they're not very malnourished, and right, normally we have our stores of, you know, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus in our extracellular fluid, our serum. So when we're using our potassium, right, for our sodium potassium pump, right, our phosphorus for ATP and magnesium to help stabilize this reaction. When I'm having glucose metabolism, I'm using some from the serum, but there's, there's a lot left. When I have someone that doesn't have any of these reserves, when I go to kind of grab my ingredients for glucose metabolism, so we said potassium, magnesium, phosphorus, I'm depleting what was in this serum. And so that's going to leave me with hypokalemia hypophosphatemia, and then low magnesium as well, which can be a catastrophic event and kill you. So that's what we're thinking about refeeding is the shift of electrolytes, right? Magnesium, potassium, phos. When you're introducing carbohydrates into someone's systems who's malnourished and you're doing that too quickly, right? And remember, our treatment for that is check electrolytes, low and slow, replete, recheck. Just do it really slow. Then we have dumping syndrome, right? So dumping syndrome, we're thinking about, right? Dumping, right? What's dumping, right? This is for our patient who does not have their pyloric sphincter anymore, right? So I like to think of, right, normally we have our pyloric sphincter, which is kind of regulating the output from the stomach. Think about it like a revolving door, right? So it puts a little into the small intestine, boop, okay, a little bit more, but it's, it's very controlled. Versus when we do not have a pyloric sphincter instead of a revolving door, it's a slide. So now everything's whooshing into small intestine. Our small intestine, it's like Goldilocks. It doesn't want it too acidic, too basic, too concentrated. It wants it just right. So when I'm having all of these solutes in the intestine, I'm having osmosis, right? The water is moving into the GI tract, right? That's causing osmotic diarrhea. Because when all that water floods in, again, remember, our small intestine is Goldilocks. So it's like, no, 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 I do not want this. And you're going to have dumping syndrome, which is diarrhea. You're dumping it out. 
right? So here our treatment is that we want to be, you know, avoiding concentrated carbohydrates, right? Having carbs with, with food as well. And we see that in not only our bariatric patients, but we can also see this happen with jejunal feeds, right? If you're giving something that's too concentrated, right? If, you're, if I'm giving like a bolus through a J-tube, right? That's a lot of concentrated stuff going into um, the jejunum, right? It doesn't have that pyloric sphincter because we're bypassing it. Um, so I always like to airstrate my bariatric patients. And I'm like, you're going to feel nitum when this happens. Um, so really great question there. Okay, next one we have is from Emma. She says, I don't know what um, what is the labor cost per meal. I just know that the labor hours are labor minutes per meal. Can someone help me with this? Of course. Right, so here we say, what is the labor cost per meal? We have total food purchase is $32,123. Total cafeteria sales is $23,231. Total labor expenses is going to be $25,790. And then meal equivalent factor is $2.15. Total patient meal served is $1,923. And so one thing to think about here is they love to have kind of like these like hidden meals, right? So whenever we're talking about like cafeteria and patient, remember the kitchen, right? The hospital kitchen does meals for the patients and the cafeteria. So if we back up on this question, right, what's the labor cost per meal? So my numerator, right, which is my dollars of labor cost, is 2005, oh, sorry, 25,790. And then what I want to put on the denominator is the number of meals. And what it wants you to do is go, oh, perfect, patient meals, I already have it. But the thing you have to remember is it's telling you cafeteria sales and the meal equivalent factor, what that is saying is it's saying one meal is about 215. So what we're saying is if cafeteria sales were two um, were $23,231, and like a meal equivalent, right? One meal is $2.15. That's telling me that out of the cafeteria, I sold 10,805 meals. I add in the 1,000. 923 meals from my patients and that's going to make my denominator my denominator 12,728. So when I divide those 25,790, right? That was my given labor expense. I didn't do any math to find that. And then divide that by 12,728, which was my patients meals plus cafeteria sales divided by 2.5. Uh, $2.15, right, because that was my meal equivalent, that's telling me that my labor cost per meal is $2.03. So that's a really great one with lots of steps where if you are not thinking about, well, what's my equation and what are some of these vocab words meaning, you're going to get stuck. And anytime you're seeing patient meals and cafeteria meals, I want you guys to be suspicious of, you know, I need to solve for another set of meals too. Um, but so we get one similar to that kind of each week. So definitely, um, definitely make sure you're looking at um, the other classes from previous weeks. Okay, so next one we had a student who said HIV patients are recommended to maintain physical activity 20 minutes per day, three times a week. Why? Um, and Amanda answered this one. She did a great job. 
right? It's saying to maintain muscle mass, right, is a huge reason why we're doing this, right? Because what we're thinking with HIV patients, they tend to get, get very frail very fast. They're very, very metabolic. And so you want, if you're feeding patients a lot of protein, but they're not moving, it, you're not going to restore that lean body mass. So we also see this issue too, like in the ICU, because, right, if I'm giving patients a lot of protein, like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to rebuild their stores. And then like, um, they're not moving any of it. They're not going to build back that muscle. So that's why it's kind of light, but we're building it back too. Um, next one is not so much a question, but I was just giving some tips about standard deviation because it tends to be a topic that we get a lot of questions about. And so when we're thinking about standard deviation, I said these, you know, are kind of the main things to know. I said, number one, right, you want to know that the majority right, of the population is going to be between standard deviation minus one and standard deviation plus one, right, because each one, that population underneath each of those is going to be 34%. So 68% of the population will fall between minus one and plus one standard deviation. The next thing I said is I said, know the, the percent of the population in each section. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google a picture of standard deviation and you're going to be able to see what I'm talking about, right? We want to be knowing, that's what I was saying, we're the 34 and 34% between our plus one and minus one, right? 68% total. Um, and then I said also being able to apply it to the vitamins and minerals. So when we're thinking about the vitamins and minerals, we want to think that the ear, right, that um, estimated average requirement is going to be um, is going to be the 50%, right, which is SD0. And then we want to be thinking, too, that my ear, I mean, not my ear, sorry, my RDA, which is going to be 97 to 98% of that, uh, what our population needs, is going to be plus two standard deviations, too. Um, perfect. So the next one we have, uh, we have here is, looks like it's off pocket, probably we're saying, how many relief employees do you need if you have 40 full-time employees? And this student was saying, I need help with how to calculate relief workers. I'm so confused with the 0.5 and the 1.55. You know, I thought I got it, but no. And again, this is why you guys should ask questions on the page because we can help clear this up. So what you want to be thinking is, if I'm asking for total employees I need to cover, I'm going to do 40 times 1.55. Because what that's basically allowing me to do is to save the step from doing 40 times 0.55, right, which is 22, and then adding that back to 40, right? So if I do that, that gives me 62. If I do 40 times 1.55, that's also 62. So it's the same math to get the same answer. So if it's asking you how many total employees do I need, 62, right? I can just do 40 times 0.155. Now, this one's saying, how many relief employees do you need if you have 40 full-time employees? It's just asking about the 40 full-time employees, um, right? I mean, sorry, it's just asking about the relief employees. So and I don't need to add it back to get total. So I'm just going to do 40 times 1.55, and that's where I'm getting the 22. So a lot of the things with math is it's asking us different pieces in different ways, and that's why it's really important not just to memorize the equation, but to also make sure um, 
to make sure that you're understanding what is it actually asking you. Because if we're memorizing the equation and you get a question like this, you're not going to be able to apply it. So definitely, if math is a trouble area for you, definitely check out the math boot camp that not only has two um, classes where we're going over all the equations that are on the exam, but it also has a practice question class. So definitely check that one out if that's a trouble area, um, a trouble area for you too. Okay, next one we have is a question from a student. If a patient was on TPN, had a colostomy, and had poor intake greater than five days, what diet or feeding should be given? So this one, you know, is a great question of, you know, kind of trying to put a little bit of a case study on it too, right? So we're saying a patient was on TPN, had a colostomy, and had poor intake over five days, right? So this one is telling me, you know, I don't have too much information on here, but like, let's say, let's pretend this was all in the past, right? So currently they're not on TPN, right? So if I have a patient with a colostomy, right, who's not eating, you know, and we're thinking nutrition support, you know, patients with colostomies can definitely get two feeds. They get two feeds all the time. One of my big questions that I would want to ask the patient that would help to tell me if I should jump to TPN is what is the output of that colostomy, right? Are you not eating, but, you know, when you do eat, a lot is coming out because what I'm concerned about is absorption, right? If you have a patient with a colostomy or ileostomy and you're having a large amount of output coming out of that, whether you're eating or not eating, I'm worried that you're not absorbing. So if this patient for some reason is having issues, you know, with the colostomy output, you know, and they're not, and you know, they're not eating, that would cause me to steer in the realm of TPN. But if their colostomy output is fine when they are eating, right, and, but they're just not eating for whatever reason, right, and we're thinking nutrition support, you can definitely do tube feeds. Um, but you would definitely want to know about, um, you would definitely want to know about um, the output of that because that's going to help you figure it out. Um, here's another question from a student. So they're saying, hey, Dana, I finished domain two and moving on to domain three. I want to keep domain two fresh in my mind. I noticed you had the MNT review study guide, and I was thinking to utilize that um, to help keep it fresh in my brain. What's kind of the best way to make sure I'm not forgetting things? Um, so that resource that she mentioned, the MNT study guide is my 56-page study guide. And what we do with it is we break each um, each topic, each disease state on the exam into a few main sections. First up, we want to be able to define what it is. If I don't actually know how to explain what it is, you know, I'm not going to be able to answer a question about it. So we break it down to like, what is it? Then we're thinking about why am I concerned, right? Why am I the dietitian getting consulted? Is it, am I worried about malabsorption? Am I worried about poor intake? Am I worried about increased nutrient needs, decreased nutrient needs? Why am I worried? Um, and then also what's the MNT for it? You know, like, you know, what am I going to be doing for this patient? And then we're also going to be looping into labs, tests, procedures, vitamins, and minerals too. So definitely if you're interested in that, I'll link it below in the show notes and on the podcast too. But the best way I find to make sure you're staying up on this is if you do get this guide is you want to be able to kind of, you know, look at the disease state cover up all the other stuff. And I want you to be able to explain out loud or to your dog or to your mom or whoever those questions about what is it? Why am I concerned? What's the MNT for? How do we bring in other topics like vitamins, minerals, labs, medications? 
And if you can do that, that's a great way to stay up on it. That's something where even if you're not in domain two, you can take five minutes a day to keep going through them because you want to be able to explain these topics out loud. You don't want to be looking at domain two and then you don't see it for another four weeks until your exam. So I really recommend, you know, kind of explaining the topics out loud, those main things, because that's going to allow you to be fresh on the topics and be able to apply it, um, be able to apply it to the exam if that's, if that's going to be a trouble area for you. Okay, so next one, we have a question from Dara. And so she's saying, does anyone know how to scope out solving this problem? So here's the problem. It says, how much would it, will it cost to prepare these scrambled eggs? Amount made is 25. Cost of eggs is going to be 83 cents per dozen. Then we have two ounces of butter is going to be $2.29 per pound. Two cups of milk is going to be two, um, is going to be $2.50 per gallon. And so what we want to be thinking here is we're really kind of looking for this cost breakdown of, of our eggs. So what we want to be thinking first is we're thinking about, you know, what is the cost per egg, right? So we said it's 83 cents per dozen. So that would be, right? So if we do divide that, that gives us about 7 cents per egg. I need 25 of these. So if I do 7 cents times 25 eggs, that's saying I get one, it's going to be $1.75 total for the eggs. For the margarine, we have to convert, right? Because it's saying we need two ounces of margarine. It's two dollars and. 29 cents per pound. So if I take the, that price and divide it right by 16 ounces, I'm going to get 14 cents per ounce times that by 2, 28 cents for the margarine. And then with my milk, a similar thing, right? I'm saying it's going to be $2.50 per gallon, right? When we're thinking about the gallon, that's 16 cups. It's going to be about 16 cents per cup. I need two of them, 32 cents of the milk. So I add all those up and I'm getting my um, $2.35 of the cost for that. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, Dana JF Nutrition. Dot com to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.